0: Welcome to the Don't Break a Leg Podcast. I'm Danielle Parzanigan, a dancer and physical therapist specializing in the treatment of performing artists in Houston, Texas.
1: And I'm Jake Manley, an athletic trainer and physical therapist at Pro PT in Winchester, Virginia. I lift weights, and the only time I dance is if I've had a couple beers at a wedding. Though we come from such different backgrounds, we're both incredibly passionate about the performing arts.
0: We hope to educate you on a variety of topics about the health and wellness of performing artists to optimize your performance, longevity, and success.
1: Welcome to the show. It, I just want to give you a real quick word from our sponsors. Pro, the company that I work for, which is a pretty awesome company, if I may say so myself, is now offering virtual health and wellness coaching to help facilitate you staying active and achieving your goals. You guys can speak one-on-one with me, a licensed physical therapist, athletic trainer, and strength coach, um, to discuss training, injury, rehab, and learn more about how you can stay accountable, take back control, and optimize your health and fitness, even during this, this weird time. Our approach is evidence-based, comprehensive, and focuses entirely on you. One-time consultations as well as long-term programs are available. Regardless of what your specific needs are, we've got you covered. For more information, go ahead and contact me directly. My info will be in the description. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Don't Break a Leg podcast. This is episode two, right?
0: Yeah, number
1: two. The second episode. This is so exciting. Um, My name is Jake. I'm an athletic trainer and physical therapist in Winchester, Virginia. And I'm here with my co-hosts.
0: Hey there, my name's Danielle and I am a therapist out of Houston, Texas. And we are joined by Kaylee Jensen out of Dallas. Um, Kaylee Jensen graduated with her master's degree in dance from the University of Arizona after graduating with her undergraduate degree at Brigham Young University. Since moving to Dallas in 2017, Kaylee has enjoyed dancing professionally with several local dance companies and colleges, and she is also a current company member with Valley Dallas. In addition, she is a qualified Fletcher Pilates Dance and burn Instructor. Kaylee enjoys sharing her passion for performing, choreographing, and educating. So Kaylee, welcome on. Hi! Thank you so much for having me.
1: You guys danced together in college.
0: We yeah so. <laughs> Kaylee is also one of my closest and dearest friends in the whole world, and while I was getting my bachelor's in dance, Kaylee was also getting her master's in dance. So, she's wiser than I am.
2: <laughs> Definitely not. I I will tell you the first memory I have of Danielle is seeing her. We all auditioned in the beginning of the year, both the undergraduates and the graduates, and she was demonstrating something um, for us all, like as, you know, the leader of the whole pack, basically out of hundreds of students, and she, I just remember thinking, this girl is so amazing, so talented, and so I just looked up to her so much, and then um, it was really cool that we ended up being such close friends. So loved our time together and i love that she is in texas with me
0: now yes absolutely
1: now how far um, away are you guys from each other because i don't know texas geography i'm on east coast so <laughs> about Dallas. four in hours okay. four
2: hours away from each other
0: yeah
1: is that a... <laughs> like is that like a daily commute in texas they say everything's bigger in texas so is that
2: <sighs> yes i live in dallas but we actually have a home in mckinney and that's about, um, I would say, 35 to 40 minutes outside of the, you know, downtown area. So, and, yeah, it is a huge city, just like people tell you. If you live in Dallas, you drive, you know, and you just kind of get used to it. Um, but, lucky, if you if you plan it right and if you're uh, not having to drive at rush hour, it's not, it's not too bad. You get used to it and you learn to make your car time productive with podcasts and planning and, you know, safely, but... It's it's just what you just what you do.
0: Absolutely. So I gave a really formal bio about you, but why don't you tell everyone listening a little bit more about you?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, uh, like Danielle introduced, I live in Dallas. Um, we love it here. It's been my husband and I moved here a couple years ago, and um, we didn't really know anything about the city, but we moved here for his job initially. He's a civil engineer. And um, it's ended up being a great city for um, both of our work, uh, you know, opportunities. And I've loved the dance concentration here. I mean, I'm constantly finding new studios and new small companies popping up. There's a big support for the arts here. And um, love the people and the culture. It's very welcoming and southern and warm. Um, We do miss the, the mountains, you know, growing up, going to college around, um, at BYU in Utah with mountains, and then in Arizona we kind of missed that. But there's a lot of great things here in Texas, and have just loved um, starting our career, you know, starting our careers here and all the people that we've met so far. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at.
1: What is your favorite Texas food?
0: Oh,
2: that <laughs> is really hard because. Probably the first thing that comes to mind is not exactly, I would say, Texan. I mean, the barbecue is really good, don't get me wrong, but we actually have a Thai obsession. Like, we have probably been to over 20 plus places in Dallas of, you know, trying to find the best Thai. Um, and so, luckily, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, different Thai places that we love. So, that's something that we super enjoy. Um, and if you ever visit, I'll probably take you to Thai.
1: Oh. <laughs> is that like I a, know. is Thai food like just really big in Dallas?
2: You know, I don't know compared to other cities really, but there's just a lot. I would say in Dallas, there's just a lot to choose from. Um, I would say another thing that they're pretty well known for is like ta- or tacos and quesos, if you're into that. But um, I just say that there's a great diversity. Like you can find pretty much anything here. So it depends on what you're looking for. What What do you like? What's your favorite?
0: What
1: would be your pick? I'm not in Texas, so Danielle, you're gonna have to take that one.
2: Oh
0: well, Kaylee <laughs> knows my favorite is probably Thai food too. Um, Arizona Mexican food and Texas Mexican food are very different, um, but I'm yes. kind of partial to Arizonan. Yeah, yeah.
1: Interesting. Oh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: huh. my. So my college roommate was from Tucson, and he actually ended up going back to. The U of A after we graduated from UVA. Oh, nice. And he, he always talked about this place called like EG's.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I never asked.
1: Slushies or something like that. Did you
0: Danielle? Yeah. Went there. Yeah, I've been there. It's a little bit overrated, but it's like <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Okay, so to get <laughs> back on track. <laughs> uh, Haley and I could talk about food all day, but (laughs) honestly, we could, but why don't you tell us, um, what a day in the life of a dancer looks like? I think a lot of us have an idea of what it looks like to be a dancer and we really make it out to be this perfect job and it's so easy and you just do what you love, but I think you and I both know that it's harder than that, so Take us through, a, like, a week that's not in this corona craziness that we're dealing with right now.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, life looks pretty different right now than it normally does. But um, it's pretty um, – there's a lot of consistency, but then there's a lot of, you know, variance within within the weeks depending on what show we're, you know, rehearsing for or what's happening. But I like that it's kind of always different, um, and it's, it's always, you know, keeps it exciting, keeps it fresh. But you're right in the fact that it can get, like, pretty, you know, tiring or, like, it's, yeah, it's not the easiest thing, but it is always worth it because I love it. Um, But a typical week would involve um, teaching. For me, I also lead a um, Bible study in the morning, so I'm up pretty early teaching for that. And then I come home, usually take a nap, and then um, prepare the morning for the day, you know, get ready to leave for um, company class and rehearsal. Um, until about 3 p.m. And then in the evening, either go teach Pilates, um, have a few clients, or go teach dance until about 7 or 8. To have a couple later or earlier nights is depending. Um, And then on the weekends, you know, there's there's teaching, you know, in the mornings or there's workshops Saturday. I try to leave, um, especially Sunday open, but sometimes Saturday can fill up um, depending on, you know, what's happening. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much That's pretty much life and if we have a show or something, of course, there's like, you know, um, a little bit more hours, but it can get pretty busy because obviously the company life doesn't, you know, pay as, um, you know, it's, we are paid for performance and, you know, get compensated for our shoes and for our time, but um, the main living, right, is found in um, teaching and teaching dance and pilates so um, it but i I like that i get to do both you know i like to keep dancing and keep growing uh, myself as a as a learner and as an artist so that i can pass on to my students what i'm actually learning in the studio and keeping myself um, current and active and um, yeah so i I love being able to do to to do both
1: how many hours a week would you say that you are dancing
2: (sighs) Ooh, let's see. So, rehearsal. Including
0: rehearsal, teaching time.
2: Including teaching. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. I'm going to get
2: back to you on that one. I'm, 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 it's about, I would probably say at least, you know, 20, 20 plus. No, that's probably, more, I don't know. I'll ha- I have to, I'll have to, it's probably more than that, right? Daniel's not the <laughs> No, 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 So, no, no, no. no, let's do, let's do, uh, let's do some quick math here. So, rehearsal is on usually Tuesday through Friday. You know, ten to three, and then teaching a few hours on top of that. I don't know. We can we can add it later, but um, it's 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 a good bit of the day. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's some good amount of time. Um, but like I said, I love it. You know, like I I could never picture myself sitting all day at an office job. My husband does that. He's really good at what he does, and I'm grateful that he does that work. But man. That's, since he's been home and looking at all of his programs and stuff, I'm like, what language is that? You know, it's kind of funny how we're so different, but um, but I'm grateful to uh be moving most of the day.
1: Now, do you have like a specialty in a certain style? Uh, I mean, obviously, you're with a ballet company, yes. Um, but do you do additional, I guess, like dance styles on top of that? Or yes. are you at this point just very specialized in ballet?
2: Um, no, actually, the, the thing I loved about um, the University of Arizona is they do want you to be very versatile. So I come from a um, strong ballet background, I would say, uh, but or you know more predominantly ballet. But what my passion is is actually contemporary ballet. And I love that my company focuses on creating new work so it's um, kind of get the best of both worlds. We'll do like more classical or more neoclassical works, but we'll also do like, um, before this whole thing, Corona episode, we were working on a jump rhythm jazz piece. So I love being able to do both. And then while at the University of Arizona, um, we are, um, they they teach you how, how to teach very uh, strong in each each of the three disciplines, if that makes sense. So how to teach ballet, how to teach modern, how to teach jazz. So I felt that that, pro- that program gave me a really strong basis of um, how to teach each discipline. And I actually don't even teach any ballet right now regularly. I teach only modern and jazz, because I found that um, there's more of a demand for that. There's a lot of ballet teachers, right? But there's not a lot of like strong modern and jazz teachers. Um, where I at the ballet schools that I'm teaching, so it's kind of fun to teach more of the ballerinas, the how to move and how to you know how to move in that contemporary way. It's a lot of fun for me. Why
0: don't you tell Jake kind of what contemporary ballet is, in case he <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Kaylee and I have a similar passion that contemporary ballet is always what we love, and then I would also love for you to touch on how you've seen your body change or what your body can do after you started doing other disciplines that weren't just ballet.
2: Yes. Um, That is such a good good point. Um, I think, yeah, having that ballet background is key, you know, having, it's like having your foundation, your building blocks, right? But when you add in these other elements, it just gives you um, that versatility because number one, I mean, the world isn't, you can't just be a ballet dancer now. Even some of the most classical companies are requiring that they're having contemporary parts of the audition, and now so contemporary, you might be like, what the, you know, what is contemporary, right? Um, And it's kind of hard to define, but what I would say is, it kind of, before, I remember growing up, and the disciplines were pretty, pretty set. You know, this is modern, this jazz, this is ballet. You know, it was very um, structured in a sense, and now it's like, you know, this new wave of contemporary that's kind of blending the lines and the technical aspects of ballet, but then also the freedom and some of the, um, like, more moving, more, like, grounded elements of jazz and modern, so it's kind of a fusion of, and again, it's this wide kind of range when somebody says contemporary, but, you know, contemporary ballet, I would say, is um, it just allows for a little bit, because classical ballet can be very, oh, you know, you watch it as an audience member, and it's very beautiful to the eye, it's very pristine, and it has a very um, kind of untouchable aspect, whereas contemporary ballet can be a little bit more moving, it can be a little bit more emotional and touch the audience in a really special way. I feel contemporary kits. Just is a little bit more relatable to the audience, and I think that's why it's been very, um, very popular. I mean, in the last several years, it's like you know, people can go and they can really be moved. So.
0: I think you explained that beautifully. I think it's really hard to differentiate contemporary ballet versus modern versus ballet, but yeah. I think I've realized. If I get better at the modern and jazz genres, my ballet performance, you know, got better because Mm -hmm. I learned different ways to jump instead of just jumping from your feet, you know, really using your quads, your hamstrings and your glutes that you, yeah, yeah, so.
2: For sure. No, I think I agree with that too. It, It makes you stronger in all sense when you diversify yourself a little bit and learn to use those different techniques across the board
1: now is the ballet company that you're with now are they more contemporary ballet or do you guys do Definitely.
0: okay
2: yeah totally contemporary ballet our main focus is um on creating new works always so we're bringing in choreographers we're, we don't really focus on the classical works, such as you know you know classical ballets as much um but we're creating we're collaborating with choreographers and musicians to create new works which i kind of thrive off so it's been fun to to experience that
1: Huh. so you guys don't do the nutcracker
2: no we so in the past um this last winter show actually about two two winters we did like a half so you know, half the show was Clara's dream, so there was, you know, excerpts from The Nutcracker, but it wasn't a full stage, The Nutcracker, you know, with the party scene and into the act, too, but it was more of, like, I would say, like, Hit Clips version, you know what I mean? So you have um, kind of the the elements, the appeal to the audience where it's, it's familiar, um, but there's different elements just because there's a lot and there's a lot of companies that still do the nutcracker and i i I love it it's beautiful but um it's kind of fun to do something different at the same time
1: so how does that process of like and and this this is just coming from someone who has like absolutely no Mm -hmm. knowledge of dancing professionally or at any level other than weddings um (laughs) (laughs) how like how do you go about like creating choreography
2: Oh, that's a good question. Creating choreography, <laughs> and this process is so different from for from ev- for everyone. Um, but I think, first of all, I think creating is like divine. I, I love the whole process, um, and I'm glad that in our masters we were challenged to really choreograph. You know, something every semester, and we were given a lot of tools, right, so that we can choreograph in different ways. Um, But personally, I typically, my typical process, which I should maybe break out of, um, is I always start with, um, it's hard for me to start without some kind of concept, like um, the music or the costumes or some some kind of starting idea. And then from there, I start generating material, like as far as like phrases that I can teach to the students. Um, some people come, can come in and have the whole thing planned and know, you know, staging this formation into this formation, but I am so, I will tell you that my weakest, um, my weakest component is probably my staging. Like, I, I can come up with material and phrases and, um, like, the steps, but when it comes to putting, knowing where my students are in place, I'm like, uh, <laughs> pick a formation, you know, so that's something I'm trying to work with or. Uh, worked on but it's just kind of a process you know you put it on them and I like to work more collaboratively because you just never know I mean you think of things and you generate material but then it may not look it may not work with the dancer you may you may you may see an idea that you think will be really cool in your head and then it's actually not or they do something by mistake and you're like actually I really love that you should probably keep that so it's just kind of it's fun to see the process evolve and change. Um, so you may have a basis or like uh, in, in a certain inspiration, but then it can totally evolve based on your dancers. And I really like to be more collaborative in my efforts. Danielle was actually in a piece of mine. Poor thing. It was one of my it was one of my early projects, and I look back and it it was like oh wow. Um, you know it was it was beginning it was it was a uh, it was it was a starting point but she was so patient and I didn't have to tell her much direction you know it, it's nice to work with really advanced dancers who who can just take ownership of the of the material and then add things without you even having to like say you know exactly what it is and create something where it's even be- more beautiful than you would have thought. So that's what she did in one of my pieces. So I was really grateful to, to have her.
0: <laughs> you are blowing up my confidence way too much today. You? <laughs> you are too
2: much. <laughs> hey, no, it's true. I was, I was so grateful to have the best dancer at the program in my piece.
0: <laughs> She's she, lying, Jake.
2: She's <laughs> being way too... Um, shy but she really was she really was the best she's on all the promo if you look at the program
1: (laughs) um (laughs) so so i guess kind of like continuing on this this choreography piece for someone like myself who say like i you know i work with dancers clinically or i help out but i don't really know choreography i understand terms and like you know I can say, like, chasse or plie or battement or, you know, pas de bourree. I know know those French words. But if I'm going to, like, from a rehab perspective, I guess the thing that I struggle with, um, and a lot of times I guess I have to rely on the person I'm working with, but, like, if I'm trying to design a piece of choreography to challenge them or to, like, work on something, like, how would I go about doing that?
2: Hmm, that's interesting. I think you well, it would be helpful to see what the choreography is, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you see a video, have them bring in something where you see, oh, wow, that's actually all on your right leg. Maybe that's why you're having an overuse symptom in this right side. You know, maybe let's do something on the left to try and strengthen that side as well. Cause I hate to say it, but a lot of choreography sometimes can, can be one-sided. It's not typically... Um, you know, because in, in more classroom material and more like classes, it's very like you you, you do stuff on both sides, but um, that's not the case in choreography. So maybe just like yes, I maybe like if I was if I was the PT, <laughs> maybe wanting to see what what the choreography is and then understand like yeah, does that make sense? Help helping to understand what. Um, what I can do to strengthen and make, kind of make it more equal.
1: Mm. And I do know that like I've had some similar conversations like that with people I've worked with, where they're like, "Hey, I'm working on this new thing in class. Like, oh, do you have it? Do you have a video of it?" And they're like, "Yeah, of course, of course, they have videos of it. They always have videos of <laughs> yeah, <right>. of class." <laughs> and so just like looking at like different, I guess the term is it is the correct term phrases. I like that if that's the way that I'm supposed to use. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I've always called it, like, I don't know, like, combos or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, combos.
0: Combos, okay. braces, you okay. know,
2: okay. just material. All
1: right. Just just wanted to make sure I'm, I'm, you know, like, hip to the lingo that the young kids are throwing out there at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've find that i found that that's been helpful, like, to see what they're doing. Because, like, my background is more, like, strength and conditioning, like, weightlifting type stuff. For and sure. so, for me, like, I, like, work in a gym, and so if i can see them doing this like you know string of movements together in my mind i'm like oh that's that's a jump that's a squat that's a like rdl that's this thing and so like i have to do this like conversion from like french to english to then like lifting language in my brain in order to like make sense of it
2: well Um, oh i was just gonna uh, add one thing there's this um There's a sports pod here in Dallas that I really love going to. And I think one of the reasons why I resonate so well with those trainers is because they truly understand what dancers, the range of motion, and things are needing to um, accomplish. Because if you step into a lot of, uh, like, or some PT clinics, they might not. They're trying to get you back. Or, for example, when I was trying to get back from my back fracture, it was like, okay, let's get you back to walking or to, you know, it's like, no, I'm not just trying to get back to normal life. I'm trying to get back to an arabesque. You see this picture? I would bring it, you know, videos and stuff for them to understand, like, what range of motion and what, like, kind of strength I was needing to um, build back to. And so yeah. at this at this certain clinic, um, I really like that they, like, they understand athletes and kind of the the just all that goes into um, maintaining that and you know understanding that so I think um that could be helpful you know to really focus on that
1: now is there like a certain like w- when you're seeking out someone whether it's like a trainer or a physical therapist chiropractor doctor or whatever it is um do you have like is there like a checklist? Is there like a dancer checklist that you guys do to, to vet a clinician that you're going to work with? Or do you just like go in and then you're like, oh, the vibes are kind of funky. I'm going to go.
2: No, somewhere else. I, I think personal, the reason why I checked out this, this certain place in Dallas is, um, there was a dancer in a company here who spoke very highly of them. And I knew she is someone that's, just super strong and knows you know has a lot of knowledge on her own so the fact that she was hurting you know somewhere and she couldn't figure out what it was i just was wow i was very perplexed because i knew that she was like she had a lot of knowledge already but she um found some really great relief relief from these guys she said you know this is really worth worth something so it was really from her recommendation this personal recommendation that made me trust, like, okay, these guys know, know what they're doing, and um, then when I went for the first time, like, you know, just some of the exercises that they did give me, I was so grateful, and it really, it worked, so it's like, I, I was able to uh, really, really get back, and so I think, yeah, personal recommendation is huge, and just, you can tell, like, from, yeah, just from conversation and, and things, you, you can get a pretty good sense of, if they really understand um, and they, they, they're familiar with what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. And I think dancers are so receptive to any knowledge that you're willing to give them because so many of us are like uninsured when we make it into professional companies, you know, like a lot of us don't have access to healthcare professionals, right. even those that know dance. So I think with the body awareness that dancers, you know, have, they're able to absorb all that knowledge to like a sponge. And if they're able to trust in the healthcare professional that they know what they're talking about, I think it can be, you know, magic and really make profound differences.
2: It really um, can. Because it- those are some things that I can take with me from ever having that problem again. You know, it's not something like, oh, just a quick fit, you know, here's something to make you feel better, but it's the tools that they gave me to be able to do on my own. That's their goal. Is their, their goal wasn't to, okay, let's have you come back in three times because we want your money. But it was truly like we're getting you. We're trying to get you on the quickest way, and we we want you to educate you and give you these tools to do on your own, so that when you have this problem again, like this is preventative, and this is so that you know. And they helped me understand why it was happening, and it was like, whoa, like it, my mind was blown. And like you said, you know, dancers are. They're very, like, you know, they'll absorb information and they're, we're grateful to, to get it, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and pass it on. Why
0: don't you talk about some of the injuries that you've had? I know we have had common injuries between us. do um, yes, we have. If you, don't, <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, the FHL tendon is called dancer's tendonitis when it becomes a tendinopathy because a lot of dancers, is have it and I know it's one of the most common things I see in the clinic. So maybe if you could talk through, you know, what you've been doing for that or for your back injury. Um, yeah, and, yeah,
2: the FHL meaning the big toe, right? Flexor, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, this mm-hmm. was interesting because this wasn't actually, um, it didn't, it wasn't dance related to start, it was mm-hmm. actually part of the car accident, the same car accident that I fractured my back. And it was my toe was so. This sounds so silly, but you know, as a dancer, you need your big toe pretty, you know, pretty crucially. And I jammed it so bad into the car that it, I remember even the hospital because my toe hurt so bad I couldn't walk through it. So it, it started to form just all this scar tissue inside, and um, and it took so long to just be able to like roll through properly, and it was it was a bugger. Like even after my back had started inhaling pretty, pretty quickly, it was my toe that was kind of like still bugging me. And especially with point work, being able to roll through. But I just remember those early stages having to do a lot of the, um, scraping and ultrasound. Mm. And it's just kind of, you, you know, you have to, um, I remember doing a lot of just slow releves just trying to be patient, but still keep it moving. I think that was the key is, like, not resting it, but not also overdoing it. it. And it's a fine line, because dancers are really, can be really like, oh, it's feeling good. I can just push it, you know? And But you really have to listen to your body and and understand that, you know, when the pain is, like, something that you can push through, and then, some, you know, knowing where to stop and knowing where to you know, how much to push. So a lot of, um, yeah, a lot, I remember the ultrasound was very helpful, the scraping, keeping the, the scar tissue, kind of um, keeping the blood flow in there as much as possible. And then it's, it, I'll tell you, it still creeps up on me, especially when the when the weather changes, when it gets really cold, I can feel it, you know, kind of start to stiffen up. So just keeping it moving, keeping the blood flow and um, doing, yeah, just... I'm trying to think of other things that have helped. But those are, those are the main things with the toe. Um, I think a lot of, like, TheraBand exercises. I also recently got these. Uh, they're called yoga toes from um, a chiropractor that's right by my house. And he recommended. That they were really helpful in kind of spreading out your metatarsals. And so I try to do that as well and uh, preventing further, uh, like, bunion formations and stuff. So... a lot of different things on but your feet are your foundation you know so keeping them really strong and healthy is is imperative so
1: so on the topic of like injuries and stuff is it just like a thing like are all dancers just like uh, so i feel like the people that i've worked with i could ask them how they're feeling and a bear could literally be like ripping their leg off and they'd be like i'm fine And then just be like, I can go do this. And then they proceed, like, with one leg to go do whatever exercise.
2: Yeah, I actually have a really funny story that pretty much embodies that idea perfectly. Um, And this is an injury. I actually had forgotten about this before this even, before this was a question. But I, so about a year and a half ago, I was doing a nutcracker with a company. And my partner, there was a certain list where... He would toss me in the air and then he'd catch me. And the impact, it, it, it just wasn't a very well choreographed lift, really. And uh, every time I came down and was caught, um, his elbow would sort of jab into my rib. And we had to practice this lift over and over. And their director was so just obnoxious about getting the lift timing perfectly so that we, we kept doing this one lift over and over and over. And I didn't notice during the show, but it was after that I started to feel really, really sore in that area. And the pain was kind of radiating in my back and in my neck. And it just, it was really tough. But I, you know, had a, a show the next weekend with another company. So I kept pushing through. And I thought it was, I totally thought it was muscular and um, pain at first but then it got so bad I, I made it to the other show and I was coming back to do the round two of Nutcracker and I went to go practice with my partner mind you this is two days before the show and I we went to go rehearse and I, it got so bad that I couldn't lift my leg I couldn't I couldn't breathe very well <laughs> and I knew that okay maybe this isn't just a bone bruise maybe maybe I did something you know I, I started to freak out because I couldn't breathe. And I went and got an x-ray the next morning, and they called me right after the x-ray. They said, you have a, um, what's it called, anemothorax, which is a punctured lung. You know, your lungs is starting to collapse. You need to go to the hospital right now. And so I'm in the hospital then. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do no counter tomorrow. And so I had to find someone to fill my spot that could learn the part that evening and, and do two shows the next day it was nuts but like I said I wasn't gonna stop I mean I'm so glad I like got the x-ray but I turns out I had a rib fracture my rib wish I could explain like the the fracture the the rib had not just broken but it had slid past and then it went into puncture my lung so it was crazy when I saw the the um, x-ray I thought oh my goodness I'm glad I Glad I listened to my pain and tried and didn't push through. So, and I knew something was, was really wrong at that point, but I had danced with a broken rib for almost, you know, over a week, so. <laughs> so that's a good example of how dancers will push, push fast things. I know Danielle pushed for, through some really extensive, um, severe back pain as well. Yeah. Those and she just was in a lot of pain that she, and she kept going and she danced beautifully. I don't know how she did it, but.
0: So we can talk about that. Like, why do you think, I mean, Jake, feel free to chime in. Why do you think dancers, it seems, push through injuries more than other athletes? Um, I have a pretty good idea in my mind of why I think they do, but I would love for you guys to tell your ideas of why you think that is. I mean, we all know you're going to be injured in a sport, but why do they push through more than the healthy amount?
1: I mean, I'll start with my very uneducated guesses. (sighs) Uh, One, I think specifically in the collegiate and or professional realms of dance, it is, well, in college, you're getting graded on it, right? Like if you are injured and you can't perform, your grades are going to be, you're going to take a hit, and then potentially your whole semester, right? Like, if you end up having a surgery, like, bye bye to that whole semester, you're going to have to repeat it. So, there's a huge financial um, ramifications and educational ramifications in the collegiate setting. So, I think that there's kind of a general like aversion to um, going to seek out like, you know, someone that could potentially pull you from participation and then you know make that situation worse because like yeah they're doing it for your best interest from a health perspective but like if they just straight up give you like two weeks no dancing like from a an ortho or something that doesn't isn't familiar with what the demands of your what you're doing are then that could be a death sentence to some extent mm. I so think- that's one uh the other one is i think that you're all crazy And it's bred into you from uh, from the time that you're children. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that dancers are more resilient in general. Like the type of person who is interested in dancing just is like automatically potentially more resilient than other people. But I also think like from an aesthetic and like choreographic is that a word choreographic choreographic standpoint. Like, everything needs to look a certain way, so even if you are experiencing pain, like, you have to smile and make it look pretty because the show must go on, as they say.
2: It's so, so. true. It can be it's, the hardest thing, but it's, like, in our nature to make it look easy and to make it look good, even though it's not, you know, may may, may not be feeling the best.
1: Was, were my, are my theories, uh, do, they, do they hold up?
2: No, were they really? passed they litmus pass the litmus
1: uh-huh. test? Other than the one that you're all crazy?
0: I don't know. sure. on, was, my too. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, they're pretty dead on. I was going to say, too, like, there's no off-season of dance. Like, other sports, there's, you know, it's more spring focus and then you get a break, but it's like there's no breaks in dance. There's no, you know, summer or are training periods to stay in shape for the fall show, to stay in shape for the, the winter show, to prepare for the recital. And then, to, you know what I mean? You may have a couple weeks here and there between, but... I think it's just this culture of like, there's just no breaks. And then, yeah, it's just keep pushing and almost this like fear of missing out and like, you know, that you're going to get behind. And which is, which is so silly. Which something that I realized um, was okay. I think one of the biggest lessons coming back from the back injury was like, it's okay to a step away like i needed to learn that lesson because i was always like grind so hard you know like, keep going push everything and it like that injury forced me to slow down and i had to take it when i was recovering when i was coming back i remember the pt telling me like you have to remember you have to pretend like you're eight years old coming back to dance for the first time like you're learning Pouilles and like you have to build very carefully your foundation back um, and that was really important for me to understand. I think it made me stronger because I really had never taken that long of a break before. And it was actually the most, like, the best thing I ever did. It was, it really was, like, so healthy for me to take that break. But I think sometimes I'll get these little, intri- these little things that don't put me out for so long. But I'm always grateful for them because it gives me that time to, like, kind of reset, you know? So...
1: So do you think that it would be more beneficial if there was an off-season, like a dedicated off-season?
2: Uh, um, I think, I believe that... and I mean, it could look different to to, to different people, but I, I do think that, that would be helpful. I mean, I know a lot of companies do, but, like, the layoff weeks, if they had a really major show, or run of shows, they'll have a couple of weeks of layoff. I think that's really important um, because I've been... You know, just looking, thinking back to my college years, a couple of different directors, one that was like, just keep going through, you know, we'll finish a tour, but then the next week we're starting with rehearsals. And it's just, it's just not, it's not, it's not sustainable and it's not realistic that your body's going to just want to keep going. Like, you need that period of rest and recovery. Otherwise, it, you're just going to spiral out of control and get more injured. you know, it's a cycle. So... I think it can look different, you know, the period of time but I think yeah, layoff of some or some kind of off season
0: is essential.
1: Danielle, do you have any thoughts on, on that?
0: Um, my thoughts, um, I think, are a little bit less positive. I think Kaylee and I can both openly admit that the dance world is very competitive, like hyper, yeah. hyper competitive. Um, even in the collegiate setting, when we're, you know one of the few dancers that make it in to the program we're still competing with each other even after we've been casted the role so if Kaylee and I we never had to compete but my other my best friend Michaela and I had to compete a lot because we had very similar statures um so we were casted for the same roles and it was like vicious like we're best friends outside the studio but then when we're in there it's like you're going to do your best so that you get to get your butt up on that stage and it's going to break your heart if you don't make it so i think i did push through a lot that i shouldn't have pushed through but it was because i wanted to be out on the stage and that's what every dancer wants at the end of the day you know no one wants to be the one backstage you know
2: absolutely i think that's so true and i think also too like one thing i was going to add like, layoff or, like, off-season doesn't mean that you just do nothing. But maybe you, like, shift your focus, you know? So, like, for example, my rest period, like, I'm always moving. Let's be honest. You know, I'm doing what I can to, like, do the cross-training stuff. Maybe you're not in your point shoes, but, like, you're keeping moving. You know, you're not ever just, like – and it depends. But, yeah, I think that's true. It can be – I love Danielle's perspective of, like, no, I'm going to do everything I can because, I, you know – I have to like I have to I want the ultimate goal I'm going to do whatever it takes that resilience attitude
0: mm-hmm.
1: do you think that that kind of like mindset in that um I guess environment would maybe lead to some more of these like chronic injury type things or things with like you know deficits in like caloric intake or energy balance things like that
0: for sure
2: for sure, because a lot of the times with these roles and these um, expectations that are unrealistic, that are set, you know, to you, whether you look a certain way or perform a certain way, force dancers, or not for, you know, dancers are a little bit more inclined to go to the extremes, you know, whether it be nutritionally or physically, just to get that, which can be very unhealthy, not only physically, but mentally. Emotionally.
1: So how do you how do you balance that? Because I'm sure, obviously, like we're having conversations about this, so it, it's pretty obvious that you're aware of all these things. But was there a time where, like, young, when you were younger, that you, like, this stuff just wasn't this education or understanding of these things just wasn't there? Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know how to exactly frame this question. To, just. Danielle, go. Your turn. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, I mean, I would love to talk about that kind of disordered eating Mm -hmm. um, issue that goes on in dance because I know Kaylee and I have both had our own struggles with, you know, a sport that requires you to look in the mirror all the time and always be skinny and not necessarily strong as in the sense that, you know, Jake and I would think of strong but we want to look lean and toned and I think it has a huge psychological impact on how Mm -hmm. you view yourself no your identity is not if you're really dedicated to dance I think your identity is lost a little bit as a person and you are a dancer you know and like you said if I need to like eat a little bit less calories in order to be that role that is on that stage I mean I did it and I I now know better, but I didn't know better when I was 16, 17, 18, or even in a college setting. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Kaylee?
2: Well, especially when you have some of your leaders telling you that you have to do it, you know, so it can be like, you know, you feel like you don't have a choice. But um, I feel that for, like, my personal experience with the whole disordered eating is, you know, and and that kind of extremes is... It came from, you know, my personal background was, um, it came from sort of a place of needing to find that control because it, at this period in my life, um, some things were happening in my in my personal, you know, home life, with my family, my parents were divorcing, and I didn't know that this was necessarily a consequence. I didn't understand that. It. It, it For me, it was, actually wasn't a body issue. It wasn't, I looked in the mirror, and I, you know, I thought I was fat, so I need to lose weight, but for me, it was about, needing to eat perfectly and needing to have this control in my life which I didn't understand until later that was kind of you know byproduct of some of the uncontrollable variables in my amendment in my, in my personal life so I think it can stem from so many different things in people's life whether it's control whether it is the body whether it is getting the role like it can be different for everyone but what I what what I do believe is it's you know it's people can't just say, you know, it's anorexic, or it's, you know, you can't just term someone, but it's everyone, or I think a lot of people have this sort of disordered eating, whether it's one way or the other, or just, you know, weird rules that you have for yourself, so I think that's kind of how it started for me, and then it, you know, it it was this episode, not, luckily it wasn't full-blown to where I was needing to be hospitalized or anything, but I do look back on pictures of myself and i can see that oh i was withering away you know my my hair was falling out and it was kind of kind of became this weird sort of high because i was getting attention from it like oh you're you know you're so thin and um you're just gonna blow away so it was kind of like but i didn't think i didn't understand what i was actually doing to my body and luckily you know my mom was very straight up with me she was like you know there are people out there who would kill to have a healthy body, and you are destroying yours. And you know, just putting that into perspective, like there's so much more than just, you know, what you look, what you look like. You're to have that control. Like there needs, you need to understand that there's just like more to that. You know, you need to wake up and think about the future, think about the impact. So I just think if dancers would understand the bigger picture and realize it's not worth sacrificing your health and your mental, I mean, I totally was in this state of like, you know, almost prison. I think that when you have a disorder of eating, it's something you're always thinking about and you're, um, it's consuming you and it's not in, you know, if that's like in your mind, always you, you can't do these things, like you can't think about anybody other than yourself. And so you need to get to that point where it's like, it, it's not, it, you just realizing it's not worth it. And um, it's not worth whatever physical or, you know, sacrifice you're making just for, you know, for X, Y, Z. So yeah. I have growing up and realizing, like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> just freeing myself from that and realizing, like, I, my first priority is that I'm healthy, you know, and if, if I'm put in a situation where I have to sacrifice that, um, it's not worth it, you know, and, and now I, it's hard because I, I do feel that that was sort of restrictive mentality, it kind of, you know, slowed things as far as like, you know, having a normal cycle, and um, so I've, I've kind of struggled getting, getting back to that, you know, healthy, healthy cycle, and, um, and that can have a lot of repercussions, you know, people don't understand, what you know, and that at the time, it's like, oh, right, I don't have a, I don't have to worry about the period but you really do if you want to, you know, have a family. So it's like, I could go on and on about that, but, um, yeah. a good start for you.
1: <laughs> so how did you like, what, what was it? Cause you kind of mentioned like, there was a point where you were able to realize, and I don't know if it was specifically just your mom kind of like making that point to you. Yeah. Um, but like, how did you, how did you come back from that? Like, were there resources that you used? Did you just start, like, like did you come up with a new like meal plan or diet techniques, or like what what was it that helped you kind of turn that around?
2: Mm, that's a good question. I think, well, I do think my mom sort of woke me up with that. You know, she and I do remember going to um, a doctor because I thought, you know, initially they thought my mom was like, well, maybe it's your fat. You have a hyperactive thyroid or something. Why are you losing all this weight? But You know, and then it came to the point where I think the nurse and her were like, Do you want to be healthy or do you want to be skinny? Like, do you like what's your priority here? And should they kind of um just put it in real really realistic and blunt terms for me? And I needed that that kind of wake up call to be like, Okay, I you know, and but even from there, it's not like a license, right? It had been a a process for years and it it still sort of is is like figuring out what works for your body, and, like, feeding it well, and understanding, like, there are so many things you can still eat, and not have to be restricted, like, it just, I think it's personal, like, in this, you know, if people are needing that sort of help and guidance, like, I would 100%, like, recommend that, you know, but for me, it was enough to have, like, my mom's support, and, like, just slowly kind of adding more calories, and, like, and realizing that it was okay, and then just I think replacing other things, so I think a lot of, yeah, if you want to change habits of, like, certain ways, you have to fill it with other good things, like other focuses, right, in your life, so just focusing on the bigger picture, and there was more to life than just, you know, the way that I looked, or, you know, my certainly perfect portion that just, like, slow, it's just a slow process and, and practice, you know, of um, more healthy mindsets,
1: so this, this is kind of, like, off off of this topic. But, like, so what is, like, a normal day of eating for you look like now?
2: A lot more than it was <laughs> that like <that laughs> in my life. Oh, man. I remember like, just, like, these silly thoughts. You know, my mom would, like, cook me breakfast. And I she would give me, you know, maybe some orange juice with my breakfast. And I would be like, okay, that's my sugar for the day. Like, that's a lot of sugar. You know, just, like, so silly stuff like that. Um, but now I, like, you know – and it's interesting, too, because I I recently kind of had this, like, epiphany. Like, you know, because there's so many diets out there. There's paleo, keto, intermittent fasting. There's so many trends out there. But I just realized, like, you have to literally do what works for you. And if somebody else is following, you know, during – because even during our holiday show, I'll, I'll admit I'm not perfect. You know, during our holiday show, somebody was saying, oh, well, I'm I'm just, like, not – I'm going to go super low-carb for this month. You know, and I'm, like – Oh, well, you know, and I, I almost was pressured to do the same thing. You're like, okay, well, I'll do it with you. And, like, you know, we'll go low carb. But it was really interesting, I'll tell you, because when I got really sick in, in January, just, like, a stomach bug, and the only thing I wanted after I was just, like, so sick for a several days was, like, just simple things like oatmeal and cereal. And, and I had like, kind of been doing this low-carb for so long, and I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, you have to listen to your body, so um, now I'm, like, not afraid of, like, eating more carb, which is so silly, but, like, that's all. I, I eat a lot of protein, a lot of vegetables, like, start with oats, you know, protein shakes, um, just all, every kind of, like, I'm trying to widen, like, my, or broaden my spectrum of all kinds of whole foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, not being restrictive because, you know, maybe a fruit has too much sugar or something, like, it's just so silly to cut out anything or, to me, like, eliminate any whole food group, you know? So I'm just, I just try to, like, and eat things in moderation, too, like, if I'm, you know, and I'm just learning that I'm, like, I actually really do, I think, for so long in my mind, I was, like, if something wasn't good for me, I literally would tell myself, like, I just don't like it, you know? But I've given myself the freedom to, like, eat foods and be like, actually, this is dang good, you know? Like, just, like, stuff like french fries and stuff. And knowing that you can, like, you can still enjoy those things. But just, like, be a little bit more conscious with your portions, you know? So, um, sorry, I kind of, I went off on a tangent there.
0: You're good.
2: a normal day just looks like a lot of variety. And it can maybe look different d- depending on my activity level and stuff, but always just trying to listen to my body and, um, just like honor, honor my cravings, honor, um, what it's needing.
0: I think Kaylee and I have both come a long way in our eating patterns, even yeah. from a couple years ago. And I, we talked about this in a previous, um, podcast, but I think having the social support of having someone else, go through the same type of like psychological issues that you've had or just struggles with being injured while you're a dancer is huge. And I see it a lot in my younger dancers that they're starting to develop those issues of body dysmorphia or orthorexia at a young age, you know, at like 12 or 13 is where I see a lot of my girls yeah, start to look in the mirror or, yeah, right? They just, like, we have a big mirror in the clinic and a lot of them don't want to look at themselves while they're doing it you know they're just because they're deconditioned because they're injured and they're off of dance they feel like some sense of like disgust because maybe they put on like one or two pounds which is probably healthy weight and it breaks my heart that it's starting that young I don't know Jake if you see it in your dancers but I think my girls are super open with me or they're like is it normal to have a period?" Like. All my friends said, like, it'd be better if we didn't have a period during Swan Lake, you know, like, we have those white tutus, like, it would probably be better to not have it, right? And it, it's crazy, and I wish we could do something.
2: Oh, no, this makes me want to, like, I, I've actually thought about going, you know, public with this, just because I think that more people need to know and know that there's, you know, one, we need to have a support system, it needs to be talked about, and two, yeah, just be... You know, having that support system and and having having some of these myths and already you know habits and and mindsets kind of debunked from the beginning, so that it prevents all of this this mess, you know, and or years of restriction and you know you never know what the outcome is. So yeah, I think it's really important to talk about it. I'm so glad that they have you, Danielle, who's someone that's not only firsthand experienced that, but then. I think from that you're a lot more receptive to know picking up on the cues and picking up on like you can you can know just because you you've been there. I think that's really that's just really special to for them to be working with you. That's awesome.
1: I obviously don't have <laughs> personal experience Very with this. Sorry. Uh, so I think, and I think it's, it's interesting and I've, I've spoken with Danielle about this before. Um, it's interesting being a male like therapist and coach in kind of like this space where it's, you know, if you look at the world of like dance, it's predominantly female. There certainly are male dancers, but the vast majority of the dance population that I work with is like 10 to 16 year old girls for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's weird for them sometimes to um, to have me, like, approach them and talk about this subject. But, like, I've gotten to the point now where I just, like, don't care. Right. So if it's something I feel like that we need to have a discussion about, like, I'll bring it up. I'll be like, hey, look, yeah. I know this is going to be weird, but it's going to be like a band-aid, okay? We're going to rip it off really fast, and we're going to deal with it. And then I'm just like, all right, let's talk about periods. And, you know... <laughs> Like after we have that discussion, and when I when I frame it coming from a, a, you know, like more of a scientific and like health perspective, right? When we look at rates of athletic amenorrhea and ballet dancers that are up to fifty percent, mm-hmm. right? That's like literally like, if it's not you, it's the person standing next to you that probably 100%. doesn't have period. Yeah. You know. And that's and not so, like
2: okay. And it's seriously not okay. I mean, I know this one dancer that is my age who has never had a period and thinks that it's fine
0: literally
2: uh-huh. I mean that that's that's our reality that's she is 25 at least and this has never so just and that's what's happening yeah. thinks it's fine and I, and I'm like even if you don't want to have children like you you will get osteoporosis. Like, it will impact your bones. I mean, you, it just, yeah, it's twisted.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at that, like, disordered eating and what it can lead to as far as, like, caloric imbalance, you look at amenorrhea, hormonal regulations off, increased incidence of, like, stress fractures or osteoporosis. um, And then we look at those things that we should do to combat that, and it's, like let just have you eat a little bit more food. Mm-hmm. You know, like eat listen to what your body needs and fuel it to to help with the demands of what you're putting on it. And right. then just do some stuff outside of dance to get stronger.
2: Right.
1: It's really not like it when you boil it down, those the, the interventions that work really aren't that crazy. Like there's nothing hard about it. But it's just like all this this stigma and the the mindset and environment that you're in just oftentimes isn't supportive of those measures sometimes or right. at least maybe that individual may not feel like they are supported with right those measures.
2: well and I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing things like this to bring it to discussion because you think back I mean at least our teachers told us like this isn't the way you just didn't talk about things like this you know and they, I mean I think we have come a long way like there used to be like weigh-ins and you know like really extreme stuff and so like we are like I don't know. We have new things and very like we have social media and all that, but I do. It gives us a lot more platform to like discuss and be open about it. So this is good that it's you're talking about it. I think it's really helpful.
1: Yeah, I mean, like that's that's our whole goal here is like to to there's just I mean there certainly are like other dance podcasts and stuff, but I feel like when you look at just the vast majority of like the the local companies and studios I feel like there's a lack of dissemination of this type of information mm-hmm. you know and there certainly are like there's people like yourself that are teaching classes and have had experience with this firsthand so like with both you guys like if you see signs of it I'm sure you're hey we need to have this conversation mhm you know definitely but, you know out where I'm where I'm at like we're a little bit more of a rural area and so probably not going to have a ton of exposure to some of this stuff i don't know i i also like i said it's it's interesting like being a male in this space and talking about this stuff yeah
2: um
1: because i like obviously don't have any experience with it personally so i think it's like yeah i think like it's it's hard especially for like other male therapists or coaches because it's like one of those things that's like super like weird or taboo I mean, like, I grew up with a single dad. And so, like, if a tampon commercial came on the TV, we would just, like, look away and not talk to each other. Or, like, we would just, like, turn and, and, like, start talking about something else. You know, it was just, right. like, I, I feel like guys don't want to talk about this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, girls we... don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> right. You know, Kaylee and I only started talking about it when we realized it was an issue that was going to affect our health and fertility in the future. And that was when it became apparent to us, it wasn't apparent to us. When we just didn't have a period, it was convenient, you know? <laughs> very <So>. convenient.
2: Because <laughs> let me tell you, it's not very fun, but I'm grateful to have one. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, which is, is good. But, yeah, it's, it's something that's important it needs to be talked about. Now, have,
1: awesome. you had, have you had, like, personal experience having to, like, take somebody aside or like, is this something that you had conversations with dancers that you work with right now?
2: Um, not so much in my experience, um, since being in Dallas really, which, but I, I do remember being back at the university and talking to a dancer specifically just cause I knew, I mean, we all knew we all could see. Right. Um, and actually with, I, I've actually talked to, um, actually one in Dallas as well but it's 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 a hard thing to um make someone realize because they may not realize until you know it it it, it's a hard thing to show them they because what they they may think that what they're doing is normal you know it's hard to have them realize until they're going through something like, you know, fertility and whatnot, so I have had uh, I had one experience that was really helpful, I think it helped her come to light the sharing my own experience Um, and then one that I'm kind of still working on to be honest, Um, one that I'm still, I still worry about you know, Um, so all I can do is keep keep reaching out and um, keep trying to share little tidbits and Hope, hopefully something sinks in,
1: you know. Is this something where, like, if you had a studio, would you just put like snacks out for people? <sighs>
0: yeah. um,
1: um, I, I mean, know. I feel like I don't if think
0: it's as simple <laughs> as that, I don't think it's as simple yeah. as providing snacks Enough because people. the dancer probably, if they see their friends not eating the snacks, they're not going to eat the snacks, yeah. and that's a really sad reality. But no, no. It's,
2: it it would be providing. I think, or providing workshops with the dancers, it's, like, a part of their training. I think that would be really awesome. Like, that just sparked something for me. I'm like, why is that a part of, you know, I mean, sometimes you get out the summer intense as maybe a class in the whole eight-week program. But, like, this really should be part of, of their education because the way that they're feeling their body is going to, directly affect their performance no i mean no doubt so they're doing everything that they're, they're doing in the studio but their nutrition is just like not you know it needs to be needed in the <laughs> it needs to be part of it needs to be part of dance education really
1: and i know that was like kind of like a dumb idea but uh i've had to <laughs> i've had it came Sorry. out sillier than what was in my head but like I've had conversations with uh, some of the dancers that I do like performance training stuff with because they'll come in, and they're like they're like really like flat that day and just fatigued. And I'm like, hey, what's what's going on? Like, did you sleep good? Did you eat good? And they're like, uh, I haven't eaten anything today. And it's like, why did you not eat anything? Oh, I forgot. All right, yeah. well, I don't. Then that becomes that. a point oh. of, it becomes a point of conversation where we're like, look, you need to make sure if you're coming in here and you're doing stuff that's like. Really demanding. Let alone the dance class that you're going to go to after this, you got to make sure that you're fueling your body and like I giving forgot. yourself some, some food.
2: Literally, when people say I forget to eat, I'm like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, how is that a thing? Like, I just forgot to eat. But I'm like, but I guess yeah, it's different for everyone. But that's it's sad that that would not be like on the forefront. Like taking care of your body, taking care, like understanding that your body is like a gift you know like you need to take care of it you only have one so we better treat it with care and respect
1: would that be weird though like if someone was like just drinking because I know like for me if I'm doing like a strongman or powerlifting training I'll do like scoops of protein and then like some carb powder in there just to have something to keep me you know to like sip on throughout a workout is that something that's like realistic or could be done in a studio like could you just take a Gatorade with you or like drink a protein shake or something like that or is that just like a taboo thing
2: um I don't think necessarily I would say like in between if you know if you have a class and then you have a break before Mm. rehearsal definitely like get some protein get some quick carb whatever but um I would say like while you're dancing that's just not really it's kind of a taboo I mean you obviously keep drinking water but I would say yeah not like during the workout per se what did you say Daniel?
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think what I've been telling my dancers is to just have more snacks and break it up that way instead of needing to have three square meals. Because with the schedule that these young pre-professional dancers are going through, they don't have time to sit down for 30 minutes to have breakfast or lunch or dinner. So I think educating them on what snacks should look like or that they shouldn't just be, you know, simple carbs that you should get some source of protein and maybe some source of fat afterwards is really important because I remember when I was dancing, I was always hungry, but I was never giving my body enough source of fats to satiate myself, you know, and we could talk about that forever, but I... (laughs) I hope yeah. to impart that knowledge on dancers.
2: Yes. No, this is so funny. This is something I just thought of, too, is my company kind of cracks up at me because I always have my little snack bag with me. And I, like, I bring snacks with me everywhere I go, whether it's, like, we're going to go to run errands for, I never know. I'm always prepared. So I have this fun that is literally a cooler. Like, it has, it's insulated. So I have, like, the most random, but it's true, like, you never know, and maybe your day is super long, but, like, you pick, and I always try to have, you brought up a good point, Danielle, like, a balance, so you don't just eat, like, an apple, but you have, pair it with some kind of, you know, an apple with almond butter, or with um, apple nuts, or, like, you know, turkey and, and a little bit of, yeah, it's just something, like, turkey and hummus, not, like, a simple, quick, like, that it's always paired with, like, so it's just a nice balance, you know?
1: I also like to bring snacks with me to many places.
2: <laughs> I, uh, <gasps> yeah, I'm, I, I'm totally a snacker. Gotta keep the, the blood sugar levels up, and I also get very, like, hangry. <laughs> you know, some people get tired if they're hungry, and I just get really kind of upset, so I try to <laughs> not get so angry. <laughs> oh.
0: Okay, well, we have loved talking to you, and you are an incredible inspiration to so many dancers, and I wish you were my teacher, but I would love to ask you one more closing question, all right? So, I'd like to know, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? It's very open-ended, but run with it. Ooh best investments yeah so I would think of something like an investment you've made for yourself or something you've done that's really made strides in your career or your health or well I
2: would say there's there's two should I share can I share two or should I pick one
0: (laughs) I guess you can do two okay
2: okay uh the first one would be getting my master's degree um it's something that I treasure so much. I mean, I seriously, as silly as it sounds, I'll find myself driving and thinking about my teachers and just like, you know, start to cry because I am so grateful for the, the knowledge and all like the, the, their different ways. And I feel like every faculty member, for me, dance was something that I knew I wanted to always do, but I didn't really know I wasn't ready to jump into company life right away. Just was the idea of it wasn't super appealing, uh, but I knew I wanted to keep dancing, and performing. So my master's degree was the perfect way to keep teaching um, and teach at a collegiate level, and keep performing and and just learning so much. I just was still in the student mode, so that to me was like in in, in an invaluable experience, and uh, just I got a lot of knowledge that uh, made me more of a confident. Um, teacher and educator, and um, the other thing was getting my um, Pilates going through that training because it was very Relatable to my dance and it you know my passion grew from having that back injury Part of the reason it was I was able to come back was a lot of my physical therapy was very Tied to Pilates and and so I developed this passion you know for that's what made me strong again and so that investment of being able to teach the reformer, the Cadillac, the mat, the towel, spine corrector, having all of those elements. So now when I'm working with dancers and or you know other clients that are non-dancers, I have a client with MS, which you are familiar with um, as as physical therapist. But um, it's it's just amazing to be able to give that gift of movement and. Um, education to other people, dancers for cross range for keeping them strong, and um, just to alleviate pain, and to maybe make someone's day, you know, have them feel a little bit better, I love just hearing that, like, oh, I just feel so much better, you know, at the end of the session, so I just love, have loved, um, I, I think that program was super invaluable as well, so yeah, those are two things that, two really great investments that um, I'm really grateful to have,
0: okay well Kaylee we cannot thank you enough for being on the show today and if anyone listening to the podcast wants to get in touch with you what is the best way that they can go ahead and do that
2: Ooh, um you can message me anyway you can email me you can call me maybe email
0: call I'm on Instagram <laughs> you know yeah, my handle, Instagram so. why don't you go ahead and tell them what your handle is
2: so, my Instagram handle is Kaylee Claire, K A L E Y C L A I R E, just Kaylee Claire. And um, yeah, I'm always open to talking with people who need support or have any questions about, you know, if, they, if they're if they interested in pursuing an MFA or a Pilates certification or just really anything. I, I love connecting with people, I love um, being able to help in any way I can. And yeah.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke to Kaylee. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you have a topic that you would like us to discuss, please shoot us an email at dbalpodcast at gmail.com. And then if you want to reach out to Jake and I, my handle for Instagram is Danielle Anise underscore DPT. So it's Danielle A N I C E underscore dpt and then jake's is
1: i am at tmd underscore the movement docs
0: so d-o-c-s
1: that was my old podcast
0: thanks everybody for listening and have a great week
1: and guys remember don't break a leg